All right. So we're going to talk about uh, Acts chapter 13 this morning. And um, we're making our way through the book of Acts. So if you're visiting with us, you're kind of parachuting in here. And uh, you get to kind of see uh, a little glimpse this morning of what we've been uh, looking at and thinking about. This morning's a really, um, it's an interesting uh, and, and almost kind of an, a mundane passage, right? Uh, it, it, as we work our way through the book of Acts, one of the things you're going to see is that Acts is just full of sermons. So it's kind of a, a preacher's guidebook in a lot of ways. Um, it, it's telling us about the start of the early church and what that looked like, where they went, what they did, and what they said. And so this passage is for us. Saul, we know him as Paul. It's his first sermon. It's his first talk that he um, is going to give. And um, and so uh, it's somewhat instructive for us, right? What was, I mean, this is this is out of the gate. What is, what was his heartbeat? What was he thinking? What did the people of Antioch, uh, Poseidon of Antioch, what did they need to hear? What did he think? And he does a couple of interesting things, and we're just going to we're just going to kind of pull a couple of them out um, this morning. A couple of different uh, two things, both of them connected to a single theme, and that theme is the resurrection. Okay, this would be a great sermon at Easter, but we kind of do Jesus stuff every single Sunday, and so it's good it's good here at the end of May as well, right? Um, because we're constantly talking about Christ and his sacrifice and the resurrection. And so it's okay. Uh, it works well this morning, too. Let me ask you a question. Here. We'll put you on the, we'll put you on the spot. I got a microphone. Anybody here this morning? And, uh, and I'm, I, I really, you've probably never had this done to you, okay? Um, uh, but if you ever wanted to speak in public, I'm going to give you a chance. Um, so let me ask you a question. How many of you, has anyone here ever been in a situation in which you were an eyewitness to a no-kidding, newsworthy happening? Okay, so I'm not talking about your kid graduated from high school, okay? That's, that's newsworthy in your family. Not going to make it on the front of the New York Times. Um, how many, anybody here at a no kidding worldwide or, or at least a national event and you were there, you, you weren't close to being there, you didn't know somebody that was there, you were on the spot. Anybody? Awesome. W- would you share? Take one minute. I think, I think maybe I can turn this on. It's not working. This one's not working. It's six, but I can't even get it to come on. I think I can probably project. Try. Go ahead. Uh, several years ago, when uh, the Queen of England and Prince... Awesome. Yes. Okay, Nicole. Here. Go ahead. Um, when I was in college in Westchester University, when, when George W. Bush was a candidate, I went to see him, and and I... Got to give him a kiss on the lips. <laughs> that that mic drop was for you, Nicole. Kiss him on the lips, not on the cheek. All right. 
Okay. <laughs> All right, so we got a couple, a couple of eyewitnesses to significant events, right? Um, do you believe them? She gave some detail, right? Yeah, you believe her. They both, they, they, what they both did was they gave us a little bit of detail. They told us some things, uh, in, in a very short span. I was going to give you a minute and you both took, you know, probably less than a minute to, to share what that significant event was. Um, when both of those events happened, okay, and, uh, and when, when a significant event happens, what does the media do? Even today, right, with news cameras and and uh, and video footage, we always want someone who is an eyewitness. We want to hear from a person who saw it. We can all see it. We can all know that the event happened because we're able to witness it via video, but it doesn't make any difference. They rush in. They stick a microphone in somebody's face who was there. And they tell us what we've already seen with our own eyes. And what does that do? It adds credibility, right? It gives, uh, it gives weight to the, to the event. Um, as you, as you look at scripture, as you work your way through, especially in the New Testament, what we have are eyewitness accounts early on in the book of Acts of this very significant event called the resurrection. And, um, and, and it tells us, it gives us this eyewitness testimony, and, and it's pushed out through the apostles, right, as they share about what these testimonies are, what these people saw. Um, and the reason that they do that is it gives, right, they could have just announced Jesus rose from the dead, but they say Jesus rose from the dead, and oh, by the way, there were X number of witnesses. People saw him. They they ate with him. The apostles had fish with him. Uh, he they uh, he came and he met with them and b- behind closed doors and and people bore witness to all of those things. And so they tell us about this and they give us this eyewitness testimony. The early church was built on that testimony, and the reason is that it lends credence to the truth of what happened. It's it becomes for us more fact-based, if, if you will, to have somebody who says, yeah, I was there. And, and a valid question for us to ask is, how is it, right, how is it that an entire, really, philosophical and religious tradition was overturned in the Greco-Roman world? How is it that that went about happening? And, and the way that happened was, through the eyewitness testimony and those who were affected by it, and then the various truths that kind of radiate out from the truth of the resurrection. That's how the philosophical and and religious tradition of the Greco-Roman world really was turned upside down. Um, You know, you think about it. Uh, Socrates, or if you're a Bill and Ted fan, Socrates. Um, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, all of those significant figures from 500 B.C. And, 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 and onward, all of those amazing figures. I mean, the Greco-Roman world had significant amount of brain firepower in it. And yet, the gospel, this simple testimony of these people whose lives were radically altered, completely 
upside down turned the whole world into a, a different place. And, um, and, and it's because the resurrection happened and it was witnessed by so many people and because they communicated that to us. In verses 30 and 31, Paul tells us God raised Jesus from the dead and for many days he was seen in Jerusalem. And those who saw him are now witnesses. Now, Paul is speaking at, uh, at a synagogue. This, this sermon is happening at a synagogue. So he's preaching to Jews and Gentiles. And it is, uh, it's a different Antioch from the one we saw a, a week or so ago. Um, and it, it would have been located just south and kind of west of what is modern day Ankara. Um, and, and he's speaking to them and he is sharing with them. And at the center of his talk, is the theme of the resurrection. So what, one of the things that we learn is from the earliest of days, the resurrection was the center of the message. The Apostle Paul says later at different times, right, he says that we long to know nothing among you except for Christ and him what? Crucified. Okay? Um, and, and, and so apparently in all of Paul's messages, he was always centering at some point on this theme of the resurrection. Now, let me say this. Uh, without the resurrection, and, and statistics show that even church-going people, there, there are numbers of church-going people that don't believe in a literal bodily resurrection. Okay? So... This morning, chances are there's someone in the room who doesn't believe that. And, and, and my job this morning is to maybe help. Okay, I, I do hope to, I, that I can convince you or prevail upon you, or the Scriptures can at least. But even if you believe the resurrection, sometimes there are doubts, right? Because, listen, what the Bible is teaching What the New Testament tells us is that Christ was resurrected from the dead and he is the first fruits. That means there are more to come. And the Bible teaches that you and I will be bodily resurrected from the grave. That's significant. It has significant ramifications for your life and for my life as we think about how we live. And so what I want us to do is, is get a little bit of gospel clarity this morning as we think about it. Because it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if the resurrection isn't true, then you and I should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Okay? Um, and what Paul is essentially saying is, don't mess around with this anymore. Uh, don't fool around with Christianity. It's, it's pointless. It's worthless. It's meaningless if the resurrection isn't at the absolute core. So Paul, right out of the gate, the first thing that he really is trying to do is he's trying to zero in on the resurrection as a fact. And he does that by telling us, listen, uh, there were many witnesses to the resurrection, and they are still bearing witness to that very thing. He also tells us, um, as we look at the passage, that the resurrection is, in fact, the fulfillment of promises that were made to our ancestors. And, and you can see that 
um, as he works his uh, way down and, and he begins to pull out some from the Psalms, Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, Psalm 16. And, um, and what he says to them is this. He, he is saying to them, listen, you read these passages as if they were concerning David, okay? And that's exactly what your ancestors did. Your ancestors read these as if they were David. And, um, and, and Paul goes on and he says, listen, David died. David died and he was buried with his ancestors and his body saw decay. Then in verse 37, um, but God raised one from the dead who did not see decay. Right? So in verse 36, he says, listen, you all have been thinking about this all wrong. You've been thinking about, um, about David and, and David's greater son, and, and, and you've been looking for that, you've been longing for that, you've been hoping for that, and let me just tell you, it's not David. David was buried, and David's body is decayed where it was laid. But there's one that has not seen decay. The one that God raised from the dead. And that one, obviously, as he is sharing this, is Jesus. And, and so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, listen, your fathers had a hope that was fixed in the wrong place. Okay? But right here, right now, your hope can change. So your fathers had a hope that was placed in David, and, and it was it's dashed because David is still there in the grave. But you have an opportunity now to have your hope fixed upon one who was raised from the dead. And and that transfers all the way to you and I today. You can have a hope, and, and you can have your worldview altered by the truth that there is one who is resurrected from the dead, who lived, who ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of God the Father. Just as we say every single week. Now, look at verse 38. As, as Paul works his way through this, in verse 38, we get the therefore. Okay? So, he has basically told us, look, Jesus was resurrected. Uh, you thought it was David. It wasn't David. It was Jesus. And he was resurrected from the grave. Verse 38, he says, therefore, my friends... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And then in verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification that you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. One author identified at least three things here that the resurrection really does for us and and, and helps us with. Here's the first one. The first one is the, resurre- the resurrection tells us that there really is a future. Okay, So in the Greco-Roman world, about this time as Paul is preaching, uh, there, was a, um, there was a philosophy, uh, there was a worldview um, that came from Epicurus, Epicureanism. And basically the idea was that when you died, you died. When you died, there was no pain. When you died, there was no joy. Because when you died, there was absolutely 
nothing. Now, Epicurus was a Greek philosopher who had um, who had lived about 300 years prior to the time of the Apostle Paul's preaching of this. And that philosophy was still somewhat in vogue. It was still winning the day. In fact, it still is winning the day today. It's alive and well. The belief that when you die, that's it. There is no more. There's nothing. I, I was this close at, to showing you a video. I, that radical, right? I was going to show you a video. I thought, I don't think they can handle two interactive moments in one sermon. Okay? But the video, here's what I was really afraid of. I was going to show you the band Kansas from the 70s. And I thought... There's going to be a few people in there that are going to, we're going to see their hairdos, okay? Um, and I know a couple of you because I've seen pictures of you from the 70s, all right? Kansas sang a song in the 70s, the title of which is, All We Are Is What? Dust in the Wind, okay? Now, somewhere in there in the life of Kansas, the rumor has it that they, they did a little bit of a flop, okay? And they, they, a switch. They, the, the switch was flipped on for them, and, and they became believers. But before that, they wrote a song, which essentially is, is Epicurus' teaching in a nutshell. Let me give you, right, because it's such a, a sing-along kind of a tune that perhaps you never really thought about what they were saying. I close my eyes only for, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Tempted, but not. I close my eyes only for a moment. And the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes. A curiosity. Dust in the wind. All they are is dust in the wind. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. And in that sense, there's a little bit of stoicism. We'll explain that in a minute. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Oh, ho, ho. Now, now, don't hang on, nothing lasts forever, but the earth and the sky, it slips away, and all your money won't another minute buy, dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Which, if you read um, Ecclesiastes, is true without Christ, without God, right? Um, man does see the world in this way, but it's not true. It's not correct. He doesn't have the right understanding of the world. But there is a segment of society, many people that still today believe when you die, that's all there is. And there are a lot of people that had had, uh, latched on to this teaching as Paul came along. And what they were hearing was the resurrection tells us, no, that's not all there is. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, and you will be too, as you trust in him. And so, this life isn't all there is. There is more. There is another chapter. And that is a great hope, is it not? Here's the second thing. The resurrection tells us that our future is a personal future. This is an important feature because Stoicism was also uh, a, a major philosophy and, and worldview 
had religious implications during that time as well. And Stoicism basically was the idea that when you die, you just go into the giant it. Uh, oneism, monism, right? You, you just become a part of the stuff. Um, it, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a drop of water in the ocean. You, you become insignificant. Your, your being melds with everything else. Okay, so um, you, you can think of uh, just uh, of pantheism. You become a part of everything. Uh, this is um, part and parcel of the uh, of the Eastern religions of of mysticism uh, that that rules and kind of reigns in Eastern religions. This idea that everything is a part of everything else, and so in the end, what happens is you just go to be, and uh, and. And when you die, there's nothing personal. You just meld with everything else. But in the resurrection of Jesus, what we see is that he assumes his body. He is still Jesus. He died as Jesus. He went into the grave. And when he was resurrected, he was resurrected into that body. And he walked and talked and he ate fish and, and, and he passed through doors. And so there were some elements and aspects of who he was that weren't the same, but many were. And so what this communicated to them as they heard about the resurrection of Jesus was, okay, when you die, you don't just go to be a part of the big See, this will rhyme and doesn't make any sense. The big pizza in the sky, okay? You, 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 you don't just go to be a part of something impersonal. You are resurrected to be yourself. There are all sorts of other things that the resurrection kind of, you know, things that modern day thinkers, you know, one of the ones I hear most regularly is that, oh, she got her wings. He got his wings. Um, we don't become angels. Okay? We don't go and, and inherit a harp and float on clouds. Uh, we don't become angelic. At the resurrection of the last day, you become you. And I don't know if you get to choose which you you are. Okay? Or, you know, the 30-year-old you or the 70-year-old you. I don't know. But it's clear from the resurrection of Jesus, that the resurrection is personal. Okay? There really is a future, and it is a, it is a future that is yours. You are the person. You are resurrected to be you, not a part of some big cosmic whole. And here's the third thing. And Paul tells us directly right here, there is something that happens and, and, and it begins now. And what that is, is this. When you trust in Christ, when you believe on the resurrection of Christ, when you believe in that, right, you receive a forgiveness of sins that was impossible to receive. This is a fascinating passage, and it was one of the reasons, as I read through it this week, I was drawn Back to this very verse. 
Because what an amazing way for Paul to say, you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. And, and the way he says it is that you get a justification that you are not able to get under the law. That's fascinating, because what he's saying is this. The law that you so desperately want, right? When, when, when I preach a sermon that has a bunch of good, meaty, you know, law, like you feel like a log fell on your legs or something, a lot of you walk out and say, you know, I really needed that this morning. Like, I really needed you to beat me up, right? And um, we, we, like, crave that. G- give me something to do. The gospel says there's nothing that you can do. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And Paul says it here. Believe in the resurrected Christ and you will be saved. And you will receive a justification. You know what that is? That's a pardon. You will get a pardon for your sin. Past, present, and future that you could never obtain by the means of the law. That's what the resurrection does for you. Our president signed a pardon this week for a crime that was committed about a hundred plus years ago. And there was a, a, a distant relative that was at the pardon. It said, our family finally feels vindicated. You can experience that kind of vindication and, and you can be refreshed in that kind of vindication knowing that as you trust in the Lord Jesus today, you've received a pardon from the King of Kings and from the Lord of Lords. Free and clear. Let me pray for us. Father, you're good to us. Thank you so much, first, for allowing men and women to bear witness to the resurrection of Christ. And for that testimony having come down to us as a fact. And then, Father, we would give you praise and we would give you thanks this morning for calming our fears. And Father, for those who are doubtful, I pray that you would let them hear the word this morning in a way that they haven't heard previously. And may you give them hope. Hope in the resurrection from the dead. Because you raised Christ from the dead, you will raise us. And Father, may we live in light of that knowledge each and every day. And it will be for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.